Thank you for joining us for today's episode of The Intersection, a podcast where Bishop Johnson, Pastor Jeff Bogue, and myself take a real look at how race and relationships intersect. Keep listening as we crawl past on today's episode of The Intersection. Today, we'll be talking about continuing our conversation about how can we see Jesus in a more unified way? This is a question that is more complex than just one conversation can expand upon. Last time we talked about what differences have come into our views of Jesus and how those views have formed and how those views can skew what the Bible actually says about Jesus. In this episode, we take a deeper dive into a biblical desire for us to be in unity based on Psalms 133 and 1 as brothers and sisters in Christ, and what we must do to get there. And we're going to look at Hebrews um, 12, verse 1 and 2. So, man, the, the, the men that I get to share this stage with and just kind of facilitate discussion conversation with is Bishop Johnson, um, founding pastor of the House of the Lord, and also Jeff Bogue, who is a senior pastor at Grace Church of Greater Akron, Brothers, how are we doing today? Doing good, man. Doing good. Loving the sunshine. It's been a good summer. Outstanding. Just trying to do what God called me to do and stay out of trouble, which I seem like I can't do. <laughs> <laughs> no, anytime you're doing the work for the Lord, you ain't going to be able to stay out of trouble, I don't think. <laughs> no, I'm always in, I'm always in trouble. <laughs> Well, we kind of kicked off last time. We, we started with the question of how can we see Jesus in a more unified way? Mm -hmm. And before we really answered the question, we had to identify, well, first of all, how do we see Jesus from a standpoint of culturally, right? White, black, brown, right? How do we see him? And, and I really feel like we had really meaty conversation in that regard. Today, I want us to continue to go down to say, hey, okay, let's Let's get the ball moving down the field, so to speak. Now it's football season, so you're going to hear these puns from me yeah. all the time. So be ready, right? right? We got to move the ball down the field to get into the end zone of us seeing Jesus in a more unified way. And so, again, let, let, let's talk about this because in me just thinking about this and kind of going back and listening to, to our conversation, to our, to our thoughts, and seeing how we can get this done – Psalms 133 and 1 came to my mind, right? And is that the heart song or the desire for us, first of all, as a body? And let me just read it for you. It says, behold, how good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. Mm -hmm. Now, is that is that the ultimate place we want to go at? And, I, and I'll just kind of throw this out and I'll let you let you all hit it back and forth. Well, I'm glad to be able to uh, to have this great opportunity. I thought we had some great discussion last time also. And um, using uh, football terminology, uh, uh, you, you passed me the ball. I used to be a halfback for a very short period of time uh, in the peewees. So I, I, I know we won this one play where I take a jab step before I go forward. So I'm just taking my jab step now, um, getting uh, Jeff Bogue, the real fullback, set up to come up the middle. Um, but – I thought we did a great job. I think unity is critic. It's critically important right now. The black and white church are, are so far apart. It leaves Christianity in a very difficult place. 
people trying to make sense of where are we, what's going on, uh, what is Christianity about? Um, so I think, yeah, I think it's critical. I think it's where we want to be. I think if there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who's above all in us all and through us all, then we ought to have some kind of unity. Uh, that makes sense to me. Yeah, I completely agree. It's Jesus's prayer for his church. I think the thing we talked about this in our last uh, episode, that unity is not uniformity. And I think that's a big deal. I think we can be different and look different and, and uh, probably within some theological parameters have different views of God and, and the scripture, you know? And so uh, I think you can do all that and still be unified in Christian love and unified in, in uh, Christian commitment to things. And, and I, I, I just am so passionate. One of the reasons we've talked about this a lot, the, the three of us over the years, one of my great passions is that, man, if we can't figure this out, our culture can't, you know, when we're, we all have, um, uh, we all serve the same God and he is the, he is the authority over all of our lives. Uh, and then it would come to our theology and our doctrine and our, our culture and race and practice and all those kind of things. So, if we who aren't yielding and submitting to the, the, the one Lord and Father above all and all through all, then how in the world do you do that when you're worshiping culture or opinion or politic or whatever? So I, I, actually, I absolutely think it should be that way. But I don't think it has to be uniformity. And I, and I think that distinction is an important one. I think we get uh, the Christian um, church... I think has been very, very guilty of dividing over issues of uniformity. And I would say, be careful of that because um, Bishop pastors his church different than how I pastor my church and Kemp, you pastor too. And, and that's fine. You know, it's fine. There, there's personalities, there's background, there's emphasis, there's all those kind of things. There's even theological differences. But if I can't look at, at my brother and say, you're a Christ follower, I'm a Christ follower, that means our blood is the blood of Christ that courses through our veins. Mm -hmm. And I can't run to your side or, or hear you or defend you or whatever is necessary. Um, then I put uniformity actually above unity. Yeah. And, and that's, I think, a lot of times where we break down. Yeah. There are two, um, there are two um, things that he brought to mind when he was talking. Um, one, the diversity element. Uh, a lot of times people are like, they, they're looking for uniformity. But if you, if, you, if you read the Bible at all, and you come to the book of the Revelation, uh, we, we're, we're, the church is gathered. There's one church. We're in the New Jerusalem, but still every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue. You still have that diversity that is there in the midst of unity. And then there's a statement that I used to use from Olin Hendricks. He's a management specialist. Um, when I when I teach management, we don't want to give allegiance to methods of work that should only be given to biblical truth. And when we give allegiance to those kind of things, we get into difficulty. Yeah. Let, let, let me go here for one second, because I want to go back to the uniformity that you're speaking about here, um, Pastor Jeff, and say, has has CRT critical race theory has that become the 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 
the unifying mechanism that is causing a that is causing this unity right now in the body of Christ? Yeah, that's a big question, and um, well, that's, think, that's why I asked it. Like, we're calling yeah. people to hey, listen, people tune into us because we're going to answer all the world's yeah. body of Christ problems. <laughs> That's a big question. That's a big question, bro. We can't. Uh, nobody should ever accuse us of dodging the big issue. <laughs> um, you know, critical race theory. Uh, these are my opinions and viewpoints right now. Critical race theory. It depends on what you mean by it. It is, is I think, a huge thing. And uh, it's become a term that's thrown around and then it's been politicized and now weaponized and people fall into camps. And so I want to be a thinking person, uh, not, uh, not just a person who jumps on some bandwagon. And so when somebody says, what do you think about critical race theory? I'm like, what do you mean? What do I think is, is usually the question I'm asking. Um, I had a, um, a, uh, uh, a conference I was just at, there's a great pastor out of Washington, D.C. His name's Irv Clark. And he spoke at the conference and he was actually talking about some of our uh, race unity issues and reconciliation issues. And and uh, he said, you know, a lot of times you have people that use critical race theory that have political agendas. And about the time that you open things up to politics, I get pretty suspicious pretty quickly. I don't tend to trust that world a lot. Mm. But he said, um, there's another part of critical race theory that is, is saying, um, I am hurting. Uh, I have grown up in a culture that has historically oppressed me. And that is a part of my thinking and my, uh, my psyche. And I want you to know that because if you knew that as a brother, you would understand me more. And he actually, um, he actually tied that as an analogy to someone who has been uh, physically or sexually abused as a child. And now they're married. And he said that tension comes into that relationship. And, and he used the example of a wife. If a wife looked at her husband and said, this abuse is affecting me, she's not saying you're my abuser. She's saying, I need you to understand, like, this is us now. And for you to know how to love me well, I need you to understand this part of me so that we can heal because we're a, we're a new thing. And I would look at that, and I, I thought that was really helpful when Irv said that, Pastor Clark said that, and because I thought that's, that's good for me to know that, like you got, both of you are, I consider very dear friends. If you looked at me and said, Jeff, we're, we're African-American men, um, and this is what we've experienced, what we struggle with, my response shouldn't be, well, I never oppressed you. I never, I didn't own a slave. I'm like, because that's not what you're saying to me. You're saying uh, we want to deepen our friendship, which means we need to know each other. And this is a part of me that, that you don't know or relate to. And I'm explaining that. So if critical race theory is that, 
um, that conversation can be healthy. If it's political agenda, if it's blame shifting, if it's responsibility dodging, that's never healthy <laughs> in anything. So I don't, I don't want to say, I kind of want to say like, be careful when you just like, ah, critical race theory, that's the liberals. I don't I'm like, eh, listen to the person who's in front of you talking to you and hear what they're saying, what their heart says. Does it go into schools? Does it go into campuses? I'm like, that's a, that's a different conversation. And, mm -hmm. and uh, we would have to talk about all that as well, I think. Yeah. Well, I think that's um, very sensitive, incredibly helpful. I, I do want to hold for a moment and talk about how do husbands respond when their wives share something like that? Because that's a very, very important part of it and how sometimes whites respond and why that is the case. But first of all, let, let's talk about what it is because in my conversations with people, they don't know what critical race theory is. And so they're talking about something and using it and kicking it around. But when you ask them, so what is it? Um, <laughs> there's a lot of blank looks because we don't know what it is. Uh, it has become politicized. It has become weaponized. But critical race theory was a movement that initially started at Harvard under Professor Derrick Bell in the 1980s. It evolved in reaction to critical legal studies, which came about in the 1970s and dissected the idea that the law was just and neutral over time. And so the movement grew among legal scholars, mostly of color at schools across uh, the country. These are scholars and that it deals with systemic racial injustice, specifically in the laws of America. That's all it is. It is a scholarly view that the laws of America have race embedded in them. Yet it's interesting that in school board meetings across the country, parents are turning out to protest critical race theory being taught to their children. And almost all teachers in our schools would have no idea what you're even talking about. They don't know what critical race theory is. They've never been taught it. They've never been introduced to it. Uh, and they are maintaining that from what I can see, all white people are racist. If you teach critical race theory, you're teaching all white people are racist. You're teaching that black people cannot be racist. You're teaching that white people are to blame for the disadvantages of black people. You're teaching that the blacks to act like victims and not to take responsibility for their uh, poor choices, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And those are four we can come back to and kind of dig down to if, and if we want to. Um, critical race theory does not teach any of those things, is not taught in public schools. And so when, when whites say, I don't want critical race theory taught to my children, they are basically talking about, I don't want slavery and what took place in slavery to be taught to my children. They want to maintain a traditional history of America that has distorted and underplayed the realities of slavery. So that's what I think, Pastor Jeff, you're talking about. Um, that's our reality. That's whether you want to face it or not. Those, those are the facts. You can't go back, change the facts and say, well, that didn't really happen. And it really doesn't shouldn't have any impact upon you. That's the same thing. Uh, uh, insensitive husband might say to a wife who had been abused. Right. That didn't, I don't, you know, don't let that bother you. Don't let that hurt you. And so I've come up with an analogy because I've heard this over and over again. And here's my analogy. And it, it kind of lines up with what you said, Pastor Jeff. So I thought you were just right on the money. You take a group of people 
you enslaved them in the most inhumane prison known to history for 246 years. Then you submit them to separate and unequal Jim Crow laws for 85 years. Then over the next 71 years, you shunt them into dehumanizing ghettos, use a criminal clause in the 13th Amendment to imprison disproportionate percentages of them, all while subjecting them to unconscious bias and institutional racism because of existing laws and attitudes for a total of 402 years. Because some of that group do well, however you measure doing well, you excoriate the substantial percentage of those who do not do well as lazy, shiftless, for not taking advantage of the opportunities that have been afforded to them with no mention of the 402 years of discrimination and its impact. You're taking a woman who has been abused and as a husband saying, well, you should just get over that. Why, why is that stopping you? And that is tremendously insensitive. And that's what we are facing. And so let me just say, and then I'll turn it back, throw it back to you. I just had this discussion yes, um, earlier this week, and it was about Simone Biles, um, the gymnast um, mm -hmm. champion who decided that her mental health was such that she did not need to compete. And, and I had a dear white person said to me, so this, I'm not saying this critically or whatever, I don't understand why she just doesn't get in there and just perform. <laughs> And I said, um, do you understand the racial climate of this country? No, 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 I, I don't, I don't, I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying she should just get over there. And I said, do you understand what she's facing? And he could not. We, never, we could never get there. He could not understand. There are some husbands that can't understand. There are some dear friends of ours who are whites who can't understand. There are some blacks now who can't understand <laughs> that I don't understand why you are still saying this is affecting us when it's been going on for 402 years. Let me say to our listening audience, thank you for joining us for today's episode of The Intersection, where Bishop Johnson, Pastor Jeff Bogue, and myself, Kim Boyd, man, we take a real look at how race and relationships intersect. And we're looking at it from the standpoint, how does the gospel intersect with each facet and the issues that we face. And we're continuing to answer this question, right? And we're gonna, we're gonna get to the point where we're really answering it, but we're going down this road. So we want everybody to be patient with us. How can we see Jesus in a more unified way? And so, um, you know, Bishop Johnson, thank you. you. You said a lot, there was a lot of weight in what you were saying. And so, um, Pastor Jeff, I wanna give you an opportunity kind of to dialogue on that, the weightiness of his comment um, as he talked about it. Yeah, I, I find that, um, that compelling. And then I, as I was thinking about that and thinking about like systemic racism, um, like it, it, uh, it's interesting that when, uh, someone in the black culture makes an argument like Bishop just made. Um, there's a segment of the white culture that's like, man, that's just an angry black guy. Come on now. But Say if, that. If a white person, if we if we suffered an injustice, we would fight back and, and it would be something more along the lines of 
they're standing up for themselves. They're playing. They're passionate. They're make. They're passionate. They're making a voice. And I'm like, that's the kind of stuff. Like you, you have to, um, you have to recognize that. Now, when when I say that, I I really think, and part of why we do this podcast is because these types of exchanges or pushbacks aren't done in relationship Mm -hmm. they're viewed defensively so when bishop uh for instance is more for our listeners if bishop confronted me about my pride it wouldn't feel any different than him questioning uh how i view an african-american person like it's a a friend a brother i'm like oh i try i trust you to lean into me on those things when you throw this stuff up on social media or you put it in the political arena, I think it does more harm than good, honestly. Um, so I, I think, but I, but I think in a relational context, when you listen to that, you're like, no, I don't feel guilty that I uh, have been guilty of viewing that as like an angry black man. I feel enlightened and I, I, and my response, I want it to be a humble response where I would look at, in this case, Bishop and think and say, thanks for bringing that to my, my, I would have never known that. I have a friend, um, some of you, I don't know if you guys have met Corbin Hogue here. He's an uh, African-American man that's, that's uh, trained for ministry at our church. And he came to me just uh, yesterday. And uh, I run this other organization and we have what we call urban centers and he came to me in love and he said jeff he goes i don't know if you know that the word urban means something different in the black community than it does the white community i was like oh i didn't know that and he goes it sounds like to the to the black communities here like we have black people centers And I'm like, I would have, I would have never known that in a million years, as innocent as they as long. But my brother loved me enough to help me, and and then I have to receive that as loving, <laughs> as opposed to well, that's dumb. The word urban actually means, yeah. right? I'm like, it, you have to receive that and be like, oh, you you've enlightened me. He wasn't accusing me of anything. He was he was a friend catching my back uh, to help make something better or not an obstacle. And I think when when you talk about like critical race theory, it, it, it as you receive that individually or you understand like the history like Bishop just walked us through. If you're a, a white person, a black person, a, I don't care what your color is. If you're then then hear that and understand that and understand the history of that, because where where most people right now are picking up the conversation is that uh, liberal politicians have an agenda and they call it critical race theory. And that's no different if you're on the conservative side, the way that uh, somebody would accuse you of like uh, you hate people of alternative lifestyle because you believe in biblical marriage. It's like, no, there's a, whole, there's a whole conversation behind that that we have to receive in, in humility. So I think that's a big deal. And, and I think like this idea that, um, uh, that our history, our history 
is something that needs to be looked at honestly, not romantically. I don't think it all needs to be thrown out because I think in the whole of our history, God has used the United States. The United States has in many ways fought to correct itself, but it's taken way, way too long. Like you can be honest about those things too. But I bet you most people don't know that the very first pe person killed in the Revolutionary War was a black man. I bet you they don't know that. I would <laughs> that's, agree. That's, a, that's I would important. Agree. Yeah. Look, you know, you, you're hitting the, the nail, I think, all on the head. You about drove it through the board. Um, the most important thing, I think, is our relationship. And um, we're talking about unity. Stephen Fowle is a, is a theologian, and one of his favorite, uh, most powerful statements to me is, you cannot do theology with enemies. Right. There, there's no way to do theology with people who you have no common ground with. So uh, we are talking about the relational aspect of what's going on. And I want to go back to the relationship you talked about. So there, if a husband heard his wife tell him that she had been abused, their relationship should be able to moderate the differences that they have. And he would have no reason, uh, he, well, let's, let's not use that terminology. He should not take it personally. He's not, she's not saying you've abused me, but I am a man uh, and other men have abused me. Uh, it's easy to get caught up there if your relationship is not strong enough to bear the weight of that kind of a conversation. And that's often what takes place. The, the weight is not, the, the bridge is not strong enough. The relationship is not strong enough. We can't really have the discussion. And there, therefore, we end up uh, defensively moving back and forth. Now, I, there are many things I've been called in my lifetime. Um, one of them is not angry um, because I just don't present myself that way. It's you not, way not But that wouldn't stop somebody from doing that with, who has no relationship with me. Right. Therefore, the words themselves may take on a particular hue or direction that they feel that has to be the way you're going because that's the way I view you, even though I don't know you. And so here, here's the problem with the church. Our relationships are not what they ought to be. Mm. So let, let me jump in here for one second. I want to go back. I want to stick on that point of what you just said, Bishop about our relationships and not being what they want to be. Because I think, Pastor Jeff, you mentioned this. Um, when you were told something, use the word, man, I felt enlightened, yeah. right? And I think that's the right word. And I think it goes back to um, a few episodes back. We talked about listening to understand, but you brought up the word curiosity, mm -hmm. right? Um, and that goes back to that relational component, right? When we can remain curious about each other, that's what gets us to enlightenment or that's what gets us to receive things from an enlightening perspective and not one of a defensive perspective where I have to defend my approach or how I feel or what I believe is my standard. So I, I really love where we're going with that. And, and, and that leads us to, as we talked about in Psalms 133 and 1, we said, man, God's hope for us is that we be in unity not uniformity, but just in unity. And so we kind of discuss a uniformity thing in CRT that will kind of keep us. But now I want to kind of shift, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 12, as we look at verse two, right? And 
I'm sure we've all been watching the Olympics. Bishop, I know you're a sports guy. I know you're all in it. Um, Pastor Jeff, I know you probably been watching the Olympics, right? And so, because well, I, I was in them for so long. Oh my God. <laughs> this is what happens. This is what happens. Anytime I try to keep us right, this is what happens. And so, I don't know if anybody had an opportunity to watch it last night, but there was a great 400 meter women's hurdle race that happened last night. And it really ties into the scripture when it talks about we have to lay aside every weight and the sin that so encumbers us from really running this race, right? And the race that we're running is to, to see Jesus in a more unified way, is really trying to get unity. And so before these runners race, they don't race in all their warmups, right? I mean, literally they're racing in things that, you know, to some people may even, people may even see as offensive because they don't want anything that's gonna hinder them from jumping over those hurdles or running at their optimal speed or peak, okay? So what both of you have said and what you have identified, even based on the scripture in Hebrews, is what is the things that we have to lay aside so that we can run the race towards really seeing Jesus in a more unified way? Some of you have, have, have named it, mentioned it, but I want to I put that scripture in intentionally right here based on what both of you have been talking about. So I, I want you all to kind of unpack the scripture, obviously, because both of you are strong and- Well, I've, know, I've not been to the Olympics. That, that's Jeff that's been in the Olympics. I haven't <laughs> been <laughs> uh, but, but let me say, um, having spent a lot of time with that verse, because I, I did a series called Running the Christian Race. Of course uh, you did. And I of took 32, did. 32 messages looking at the- athletic metaphors of the new testament you probably say 32 messages there's a lot paul talks about athletics a lot and that would be a whole different discussion but first i'd just like to start with what is the goal of the race mm. see we see our problem would not be we want to talk about a whole bunch of other things what's the goal of the race now i would main i would maintain that many people would say the goal of the race is to get people say the goal of the race is to whatever I would say, and this is why I would be kicked off the program. The goal of the race is to transmit the love of Jesus. Many people would think the goal of the race is simply to get people saved. The goal of the race is to be right. The goal of the race is to, is to preach the gospel. The goal, I think it revolves around the love of Jesus. Not, not just his love, but his suffering love that he gave his life. Um, so we were, we'd be in a lot of trouble just there. Now, then we could talk about land aside stuff and taking off stuff and in the Greek athletic games, people would not going to know this, but they exercise naked. naked. They didn't just lay aside some stuff. They took it all off. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but with that being said though, Bishop, and, and, but does it have to be one singular goal depending on where we no. are in the leg of the race? I don't think it has right. to be one goal, but I think it has to be a goal um, that we, once again, we're talking about uniform, not, not uniformity. It has to be something that's similar. In other words, the question I get in church, I've, I've been doing this for 47 years, pastoring for 47 years. I've been saved for 61 years. I've been alive for 45. <laughs> <laughs> and here is the question that I get more often than any in the in the evangelical church. Bishop, do you think it is right 
to fill in the blank, doesn't matter. And my response is usually calls a silence. I'm not, not sure whether it's right, but do you think it's loving? I think that's what Jesus would ask. Not is it right, but is it loving? So we end up fighting and, and arguing and over what's right. Is critical race theory right or wrong? Is it what's loving here? To listen, as Pastor Jeff said, as a sensitive husband, to listen to a bruised wife, as a white community who has seen this over the course of 402 years, to listen sensitively to a bruised African-American community. What's loving? And I, I just don't think we ever get there. Yeah, I, I look at that. I was just looking the, the whole verse up. You know, when you, when you talk about the goal, um, the, the goal, so you're fixing your eyes on Christ. He's the author and perfecter of faith. And so you kick over then into other passages, I, I think especially passages about grace and truth. And uh, I think there's a reason why grace comes before truth and uh, the evangelical church and, and others, they're, it, they're arguing about what is right, uh, but they're not doing that in grace. And they're not giving, uh, we often have not given grace in our answers. So uh, I can think something's right. And one of you can think something's right. And we both can be right, <laughs> right? So where the Bible is clear, let it be clear. Where the Bible is silent, um, it might be good for you to be silent too. And, and where there's room for conversation, have the conversation, you know? And, and, um, and I have, I know both of you have a very, very high view of scripture and believe in the inspiration and the authority of scripture, you know, emphatically. Um, but the, the, the goal of the race is not the Bible. The goal of the race is Christ and Christ's heart, Christ's mind, which we obviously find expressed in God's word. But when you're arguing about God's word, you're not usually talking about the love and the truth of Jesus. Mm. Uh, and so I think that's a big thing. You asked the question, uh, uh, Kemp, about what we lay what we lay aside. Um, I think we lay aside our rights. Uh, I think that's what humility is. So I have the right to this, or I have the right to that. And you know, we've seen uh, lots of protests in the street in the last year and a half, and and some of them are very legitimate, and some of them are those kind of things. And I'm like, what when, when I'm entering into a conflict with you. Uh, whether it's marriage or friendship or whatever. And I'm like, well, I have this right. What I'm saying is you have to conform to me. And that argument is always going to one way or another come to loggerheads because if I have the right to this, then you have the right to that. So who wins? It's a competition uh, ultimately. So I think when you see in the humility of Christ is he, like Philippians 2, he laid down his rights. Like he took on the very form of a man. He didn't have to do any of that, but he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And that is us spiritually. But if you read the scripture completely, all of creation, all of humanity and all of its forms is lost. So that's not just a salvation passage. 
That is oh. as it is in heaven, let it be on earth. Right. And, I, and we're bringing all of that truth forward, right? So Christ laid down his rights to uh, be the manifestation of God, for, uh, of God and all those things. And then I think the other thing um, is we have to lay down our longing for power. Mm. And uh, I think I was talking to a friend about critical race theory and it may be the conversation was actually broader than that specific thing, but he said something interesting to me. Uh, he, he's a, he's also an African American brother. And we were talking about this and like a racial reconciliation kind of a conversation. And he said, what I see a lot in critical race theory conversations is one group wants power from the other group and the other group doesn't want to relinquish power to the less powerless group. And so sometimes the group without power is actually just longing for power. And it's this. And in the body of Christ, that's, that is not the conversation. Uh, we, we yield all power and rights. So power and authority is from Christ. It's not from us or our position. And if I can get away from what I might lose or have to give up and get into the paradigm of who I might redeem or be able to love, it, it opens my mind up to all kinds of things. Uh, and I'm not, so when I hear like critical race, like I said, it depends on how you're talking about it, but I'm, I don't want to ask the question, uh, are they right or are they wrong? I want to ask the question, what are they saying and what can I hear? And then maybe I don't agree. Uh, there's certainly things that we would not agree on, but if my, if my wife is saying that this wound is causing this pain in me, I'm not arguing whether she has the right to have that pain. Right. Right. And, good. and so I think we have to lay that aside if we're going to pursue Christ together. Mm, that's good. Yeah. We, we have a situation almost tailor made to talk about this that is right down Main Street. So let me just drive my truck down Main Street. <laughs> uh, do I take a vaccine or don't I? Mm. Many people are. I have a right not to take it. Mm -hmm. OK, you do. What about the love for the other people that might be affected by your right? We can't almost can't have that discussion in America. And one of the reasons is because of our different cultural realities. American Christianity was formed in triumphalism. Black Christianity was formed in suffering. Mm -hmm. So yes, there are tremendous power differences that make it very difficult to even have the discussion because when a wife is hurting, it's not about power. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's interesting that you say that, Joey, the, this pastor, Irv Clark, that I was talking, uh, mentioned earlier he, in his same talk, uh, he was saying, he said, we're going to know that our churches are reconciling racially, not because we're sitting in the pews together, but when we're sitting in the boardroom together, mm. when, when power is distributed. Yep. 
and yep. and uh, valued and all the rest. The insights are valued. Uh, and I thought that, I, I think I wrote that down when, when he said it, but I was like, that's a very interesting thing. It, he said, uh, it's not just integration. No. It, you know, it, it is the, uh, I value you and trust you enough to also yield power and, and authority um, mm. as a, because other things are tokenisms. Uh, look at, look at, look how integrated we are. Uh, it's not really striving together and running together. It's uh, I'll, I'll let you on the train that I'm running. Yep. Mark 1045. I didn't come to, uh, to be served, but to serve and give my life a ransom for many. We do not lord it over others as they do in the world, but we give our lives as a ransom for many. We don't have our problem is that these are universals now. We don't we don't have uh, the power of love. We have a love of power. And almost all of these deal with power differentials and an inability to be able to work through them. It's a great quote. We don't have the power of love. We have the uh, love, love of power. Yeah, Second Corinthians 5. We no longer regard each other from a worldly point of view. Worldly point Absolutely. of view is all power. It's all power. Yeah. You get into Timothy and Titus, verses about eldership and leadership. You're disqualified from leading mm-hmm. biblically uh, in the church. If you lord your power over, or absolutely your power, yeah. So that we're we're really getting some heavy stuffers. Let me come the other way for a minute. So I don't go over critical race theory because I want something from you. Mm-hmm. I go over critical race theory because I want something for myself. Yeah. That is, I want identity enough to be a human being. I'm doing a series right now on this. African-Americans, when we were brought to this country, had two choices, two and only two. I'm a human or I'm inhuman. Hmm. There's no middle ground. There was no, there's no in between here. I'm either a person that deserves rights or I'm inhuman and I deserve nothing. So a lot of times with African-Americans, we're simply fighting for identity, Christian identity in the Lord. I'm going to use a quote that I'm going to use in my sermon series. In 1975, Dr. King did a little known speech at Glenville High School. And in the speech, he said to these high school students, you need to go down inside of yourself and find your somebodiness. Now, if I just stop there, a lot of folks will say, well, see, there it is. I got it. But he said, you need to know you're somebody in Christ, mm-hmm. not just somebody, but somebody in Christ. And therein is a power differential. Now we're talking about power again, because how do I become somebody in Christ without some grasping or taking of power that is legitimate and without someone who holds the power giving it to me? And that, that's huge. I, I've said uh, several times over the years a version of this that if I can if I can categorize a group of people, if I can stereotype a group of people, then I can dehumanize them. Absolutely. And if I can dehumanize them, 
then I don't have to concern myself with their struggles. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, so now, brother Jeff, I'm going to say something. Don't don't kick me out of your life. <laughs> I know you've been in the Olympics. You have enough drink to lift me up. But um, and that is called white privilege. Right. The privilege to not have to think about it, not have to deal with it, not have to entertain it. Guess what? I'm sharing this with the brother that, I, that I'm talking about. If I don't know, if I don't consider my ethnicity for one second, it could cost me my job. It might cost me my life. Mm. But white privilege is the privilege not to have to consider it. Let me, can, can we, I, I want to end on that. All right. So for everybody, all of our listening audience, this ain't me being the black guy saying we're going to end on white privilege. I'm just saying <laughs> because our time is I'm glad. Out. I'm glad. Right. So, <laughs> it, it, but, but I do want to end on this. I do want to read this scripture because to pass your point, I want to, I want to read it in its entirety. I'm going to read it out of the Amplified. When I look at Hebrews 12 and 2, it says, looking away from all that will distract us and focusing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of faith, the first incentive of our belief and the one who brings our faith to maturity, who for the joy of accomplishing the goal set before him, endured the cross, disregarding the shame and sat down at right hand of the throne of God, revealing his deity, his authority, and the completion of his work. That's why we praise him. That's right. So Man. how are we going to see Jesus in a more unified way? Continue to keep your eyes fixed upon him and him alone. And both of you said it. It's, it's looking at it from a standpoint of love. And, and, and Pastor Jeff, you broke it down like, all the suffering that he laid aside, he becomes our example. Right. He laid aside all these things for our what? For our benefit. So he tore down the wall of hostility, of all the hostility that we see. And he goes back to what Bishop said. It was in it's knowing love through his suffering. Like he loved us so much that he suffered on that cross for all of us. And so we'll continue to talk about how we can see Jesus in a more unified way. And I love this quote. I'm going to say it. Um, it. It's about the power of love and not the love of power. And we, and that is no more an example of Jesus because he laid down his authority and his power to come upon this earth and to be the sacrificial lamb for us all. He laid it down. He laid it aside on our behalf. So um, just want to, man, thank you so much for joining us for today's episode of The Intersection, a podcast with Bishop Johnson, Pastor Jeff, and myself, Kent Boyd, where we take a real look at how race and relationships intersect. And today, man, we've had a fruitful and a meaty conversation. Man, thank you all so much, man. Like, first of all, thank you for allowing me to be in this with you and doing the best I can to facilitate you. As our listeners know, it's hard for me to get a word in edgewise, but it's okay. <laughs> This is like going to seminary without going to seminary, just being able to be on this and listen. So want to give both of you just one last parting word or shot that, that you would like to say and just any statements you want to make before we close out. 
Well, I would just say that I think Pastor Jeff did a wonderful job today, and, and he hits so many incredible points. One of them has to do with Jesus and how he responds. And I'm just going to read one scripture that deals with, I think sometimes people don't, there's so much about Jesus in the Bible that to, to, to narrow it down into one thing, it's very difficult. But here's what he said about his own purpose statement. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Well, he, he's concerned about the poor, the captive, the blind, the oppressed. What's that scripture, Bishop? Luke 4, 18 and 19. Yeah, and I, I, I tell you, I, I would absolutely just build off of that, Second Corinthians chapter 5, and this ministry of reconciliation has been entrusted to us, and we are Christ's ambassadors as if Christ himself were making his appeal through us. So this, this reconciliation uh, is not a, a social hot topic. It is the hand-delivered ministry from Christ to us. And we reconcile each other, obviously, to Christ. And part of that is our reconciliation with each other, right? And so we, we are, especially as Christ's followers, our love for each other is our strongest testimony. And we need to do this hard work. And, uh, I hope that our relation, I hope everybody listens to us can tell we're old friends. It's not, it's not unfun work. <laughs> like it's good work. It's healthy work, but it's work. Like you have to work at it and you have to listen and, and uh, humble yourself with each other. And I'm grateful to be a part of it. I always look forward to our conversations. Amen. Thank you so much. Our audience for jumping on with us today, as we continue to seek God's voice, navigating all of the intersection in each of our lives. You can subscribe or you can follow us on Apple, Google, Spotify, YouTube, all those podcasty type of networks. And we'd love to hear from you. So feel free to submit any feedbacks or questions to intersection at loveakron.com. That's intersection at loveakron.com. So thank you both for being with us. Hey, I'm going to end this the way I end like all my stuff. When I always say, if you don't do nothing else, make sure that you love Akron. I haven't done it with y'all because y'all are such distinguished men and gentlemen. Like, I'm like, how am I going to say to y'all? But I'm doing it with y'all. Like, we've grown in our relationship, so I can, I can have fun. So, hey, listen, before we get off, if you don't do anything else today, make sure that you love, love Akron. Thank you all so much. God bless you, and we love you, and we'll see you next time on The Intersection.